Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And continuing our series on advocacy and people who are in this line of work where they are just really wanting to make a difference in the world, we have a guest today that I'm so excited to introduce to you. Her name is Linda Mitchell, and she has been a lifelong friend of mine. Uh, We've been going to the same church, worked in the same school board for many, many decades. Uh, I was youth leader for both of her kids, so we have a lot of um, shared life history together, but I want to introduce you to our listeners, Linda, with your official bio, and then we'll let you speak for yourself. Linda is a former teacher and parent educator for the Parents as Teachers program at St. Louis Public Schools. She had seen the education landscape from the vantage point of the classroom and the living room. Her experiences have shaped her view that the home is the powerhouse for change and the seedbed for literacy culture. She is the founder of the Metro East Literacy Project nonprofit organization and the author of two children's books. She promotes literacy to adults and children through free book distribution, reading lessons, and reading events. Linda was a Chicago native and now resides in O'Fallon, Illinois with her husband, Odell Mitchell Jr. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here with you and Megan. Yes, we're excited about this. Thank you for joining us. I am impressed by how well written your bio is, A. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but also just tell us a little bit more about you and Odell and uh, just your life a little bit. Well, I thought my husband and I would be the perfect pairing because he's a professional photographer and I'm a journalism major. And I said, oh, we're going to travel the world and write travel stories and just be the power travel couple. Okay, that didn't happen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> got married, had two kids, and, uh, you know, life went on. But my background is uh, bachelor's in journalism, stay-at-home mom for many years, and then after 9-11, got into teaching, which I realized was a passion of mine, a natural talent of mine, it, and I taught at the Christian school where my kids were going. That door just opened up. And I was there for almost six years and just loved it. And you went on from there to get a graduate degree. Yes, a master's in education with an emphasis in online learning, all from the same university. So I didn't have to set foot on the campus of the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign again, but everything was online. Yeah. And uh, that I love that because I had to learn a lot of technical things. And um, so... That was great. I also have about a year and a half of law school at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Let's see, when did I do that? I did that before I went to graduate school. But I went to law school because I wanted to enhance my skills as a journalist. And when I was living in Washington, D.C. after college, I met so many people with law degrees who were not lawyers. They were in communications or business. I said, oh, you mean I don't have to be a lawyer? Because I don't really want to do that. But so I did go to law school and just loved it. Yeah, I'm sure there's know a that. research in that. I didn't know that about you. That's great. Mm-hmm. A little secret. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, I like how in your bio, you talk about like seeing literacy from the vantage point of the classroom and the living room. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. I mean, you mentioned you taught for six years, so we know what the classroom experience was, but what do you mean by the living room experience? Yes, yes. 
from the vantage point of the classroom, I had students who some of them could read well, some of them couldn't read well. And I remember the summer prior to teaching them, I would go on home visits. And some of the students had books in their bedroom and some of them didn't. And then when I became a parent educator, I went on over a thousand home visits to families all across St. Louis. And I noticed the same thing. Some homes, the kids had books and some homes, the kids didn't have any books. And I realized that access to books and the culture in the home that values literacy and education can really make a difference. And I had a paradigm shift though, Megan, because I saw a family on a high income spectrum with no books in her home and they bought their kids all the shiny plastic pink toys. And these parents were professionals and their kids could barely communicate. And then I went to another home across town and this was, it was a single mom who, who uh, she was uh, educated. I think, I'm not sure if she finished college, but she was an advocate for education. Mm-hmm. And in her home, she had out the alphabet on a board on, on her walls and all kinds of things to enhance her two-year-old's education. And that little boy turned out to be a gifted student. Right. And, and so, and they, they had a library car. They would, every time I would go over there, I would take books and they would just love it. So I thought, oh, well, it's not necessarily the uh, educational level of the parents or the, the income level of the parents. It's the intent or the values and the culture of the family, whether they value literacy and education. Wow. And, um, and so that's the message that I'm bringing to families it doesn't matter necessarily your your educational background. It's what you think is important, whether you think having books in a home is important, whether you think education is important. What do you say to us parents who read a lot on our phones using Kindle or other apps? Come, come on, come on. This is the age of technology. The thing is, I think you parents need to be intentional, intentional about having a hard copy book in their hands, especially especially when the kids are young, like a book of nursery rhymes or something, because yeah. I don't think hard copy books are going away. They're not going away. And so the kids need to see, you know, what is that thing with these pages and paper and how do you hold it and how do you, how do you turn it? And they will learn about audio books eventually, but for the foundational, they need to know what a book is, how to hold it, turning the pages and having the parents having a kid sit on their lap and the parent is reading that book to them. That's good. Because the little kid doesn't know what the parent, the parent could be playing a game, but the right. kid needs to see them reading a, a hard, that tactile sensation of turning the pages. Kids need to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm always saying to my kids, I'm not just on my phone. I promise I'm reading a book. I promise I'm reading. Exactly. You guys need to read too. <laughs> Yeah, kids have to explain more. And I'm glad you said, and you guys need to read too, because I very much emphasize the modeling of reading. And a conventional wisdom is that we give books to children, give books to children, the kids take books home. And there's so many programs that give books to children and they still need to do that. 
But my question was, and, and all my experience, well, to the adults, wait, wait a minute, wait, where is your book? Mm. Do you have a book? Yeah. Do your kids see you reading? And so I have formalized that in my nonprofit through the Imitate Reading Initiative, which is simply a messaging that parents need to model reading to their children and not only read to them, but also read in front of them. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean model reading by, this is how you say Jack and Jill. I mean, I mean, just holding a book, turning the pages, showing some excitement, getting some value out of, out of it. And um, that's what I mean by modeling reading. I get really fired up about this too. Um, I mean, you, <laughs> you know, because we, we taught a similar, well, yes. I mean, I actually came in uh, when you left the school and took some of the high school English classes you had been teaching. So we have a shared experience there. But um, one of the things that I remember learning in my teacher ed programs and then as a teacher was the importance of the yes. teacher modeling reading. And so I would teach oh. with a, a reading workshop approach. And so we would set aside time for all the kids to read where I could walk around and conference with each student. Let's talk about what you're reading. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you think is going to happen next? But I would always yeah. make sure that I set aside one or two of those days a week that I would just sit and read my own book. And sometimes I'd let the kids ask me, what do you like? What do you not like about what you're reading? But I wanted them to see that I valued it as much. And, you know, I'm not going to say I never got pushback from other teachers who don't understand that concept where they would go, oh, you're just sitting in your classroom reading. Yeah, I am. And they're seeing a grown woman loving what she's doing so that they also then want to do that. So you got it, Megan. That is so powerful. And um, that you were doing that modeling, that reading, and the kids saw you getting value and excitement out of reading. And they heard your voice. They heard you reading the stories. I know older kids, they still like to be read too. <laughs> and yeah. So no, that, that, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Glad you did that. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something that you said, because you mentioned that, you know, it's not always about income level. It's about right. like priorities and values, but there is yeah. also a component. I know, you know, this because you're working in the, you know, St. Louis and the Metro East for this initiative, but yeah. there, there is something to be said about access to books. So oh my when I, when I was with you um, last week, I heard you mention something about a book desert. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about book deserts and, you know, how can we overcome those kinds of access uh, issues, really? Yes, book deserts are all over the place. They're defined basically as areas where there are no libraries, where the individual homes, these families do not have any books in their homes. Maybe the library is not a very good library or even the people in the community the library may be there but maybe they don't have transportation to get there mm -hmm. and so that access to books is very important because I think the reading starts in a home I mean I think about my home we had books because we would get them as Christmas presents we would get magazine subscriptions. I would see my mother reading a book and my father reading a newspaper and my grandmother reading her Bible studies. And, and we had all, all of that in a home so that I could see it. And, uh, but a lot of kids today, they, in fact, I just talked with a young man yesterday, 14 years old. I said, well, do you have any books in your home? No, he, he didn't have 
any books in his home. And that's not unusual in, in some of the communities right here in our neck of the woods. So what I'm doing with my nonprofit, the Metro East Literacy Project, is we give a family a bag of randomly se selected books, 25 books. So let's say it might be 20 books for the adults, five books for the kids, when I say kids, middle schoolers as well. Now, why the number 25? Because research has shown that if a family has at least 25 books, those kids are gonna stay in school longer than a family that doesn't have any books. And a family that has 500 books, now they're really rocking it. You know, those kids are gonna stay in school just, I mean, according to the research, those kids are really gonna stay in school much, much longer. So I'm not gonna argue with the research. They said, okay, 25 books, that's what we're gonna do. So we give out, uh, we find our families, they're at um, child care centers, we do book giveaways and we give these families this bag of books. And random because, well, first of all, we don't have the manpower to pick and choose. So, <laughs> but if you get a random bag of books, something in there may attract you. Mm -hmm. there, there may be something in there that will expand your mind. So let's say a, a kid is only interested in graphic novels, but maybe randomly there's a book in there about architecture. So, and, and you never knew you were interested in that, but you get fascinated by something. So by having a random selection, that expands a person's mind about what's, out, what's available, what the opportunities are. Yes. And I, I do want to go back to um, how I even got started in this. Yeah, I'd love and, to tell your story there. Well, it, it really goes back to, as I said, my childhood. We got books when I was a kid, my siblings, and I just loved to read. It was nothing. It was just wonderful to curl up with a, with a good book. And we, we got magazine subscriptions we got um, Happy Hollisters. Okay, I'm dating myself, but anyway, <laughs> Hollister folks. And then even in my teenage years, I loved, you know, do my chores and go beep up around Chicago. But then maybe in an afternoon, curl up with my Seventeen magazine or Glamour magazine, all these different magazines. And of course, I had a public library card. My mother would take us to the library. But something happened actually in my adulthood. My mother just casually told me one day, well, you know, um, my mother couldn't read. My, my mother, my maternal grandmother could not read. And I, I didn't know that. And all of a sudden I had so many flashbacks to when I was a little girl peeking into the parlor and my mother sitting at a table reading letters to her mother from, uh, um, her brother who was in the Navy and, and it all made sense to me because I remember thinking, why is my mother reading to her mother? I, I didn't, you know, as a little kid, I didn't understand that. But when she told me this, when I was a, when I was an adult and I can't pinpoint exactly when it was, but I know I was grown, married, had kids. It, it just shocked me. And, and I understood so many things at that point. I understood why I had a very engaged relationship with my grandmother who could read and took us all around the city and a very limited relationship with my grandmother that was illiterate. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to, to know more. And, and I asked my mother, you know, what happened? And she 
She didn't know all the details, but she knew that her mother was raised in Virginia and she and her sisters were separated. And she went to live with a white family that did not believe in educating little black girls. So all she was taught was to cook and clean. And when my grandmother grew up, that's what she did. She became a very good cook. And, I, and my mother would have to go after school and help her with the recipes. I mean, my grandmother couldn't read, write her name, couldn't add, subtract, couldn't do any of that. And so my mother helped her. She and her brother helped her learn how to write her name. And I think she said count to 10 or something, something like that. But her life was very limited. And um, I just made a vow. I made a vow to myself. I'm going to help people learn how to read. Yeah. Because yeah. reading has done so much for me. It's, it's just, whew, talk about advocacy and being transformative. It just brings me solace. It uh, takes me places all over the world. Yeah, I yeah. say I get to meet people all over the world vicariously through their stories. I could say, oh, okay, I know Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, because I read her story. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know Will Smith because I heard his story or Trevor Noah. I've read their stories. All these great people, I, I, I know their stories. I read their stories. So I feel like I get to know them and I want other people to be able to experience that, to experience how your, your mindset, your little circle can be very, very wide, even though you're in one little spot in your house. So true. Yeah, I I can't, it makes me sad as you were telling that story to think about what opportunities your grandma did not have because of that limited education, because of not being exposed to more thoughts and more ideas. And even like you said, just the travel that you get to do through a book that you can't do in real life. Sometimes, you know, just all of the beautiful things that she was, ah, it's, it's almost like you're in, in a cage without that opportunity to reach outside of your own little four walls, you know, I think her world was limited to uh, her job, her church, and going fishing, mm. which, which, which are all beautiful things. But, you know, maybe she had more things that she could have done. And I yeah. wish, and I can't, like I said, I can't remember any conversations we even had um, with her. But reading is just so powerful. Our, one of our models of the Metro East Literacy Project is literacy is liberation. It takes you higher. It does. I I believe you can read yourself out of poverty and it's transformative. I've even heard stories of uh, guys who have been in prison and it's true that 70% of the prison population, they're functionally illiterate. But many guys, I even interviewed this guy, they learn how to read in prison Mm. and just get all kinds of help and maybe even get their degrees. And yeah. so they can change their life. They can transform their lives and, they, and don't have to go back to a life of crime if they make that choice. Yeah. So, so reading can really take you places. It's so important. But I know these kids today, they're like, ah, ah. You know? <laughs> 
it's boring. You know, I don't want to do that. And then, you know, the, they just want to play video games all day. I understand that and, and nothing wrong with it unless you are playing it all day. <laughs> right. I was real strict with my, I was real strict with my kids. They had to, <laughs> they could play video games, but they had to do an hour of reading. <laughs> they could be play with their Legos, but they had to do an hour of reading first. And, and that has, that has served them well. That that served. I would say so. You have amazingly creative and literate children in all kinds of ways. Amazing. Your son graduated from law school. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Daughter mission. Love it. Yes. Yes. And and I'm glad to use that word creative because that's one of the things that inspires me about um, reading and and. it just makes me love God more because what I see is the creativity of God. Like authors, novelists, like you make, how do they get those ideas? God is so great to give people creative ideas to come up with worlds that, I mean, who could think of Lord of the Rings? How did he even think of that? And yeah. another yeah. another book that I love is, uh, you know, like Where to Crawl Dad Sing. How did she even think of mm-hmm. these stories? Um, the creativity that God gives all of that, all of us. It's, it's just beautiful to see when you read a book. I have one more question for you related to not just modeling reading, but really teaching it, you know, when, um, we have Mm -hmm. one of our five that's struggled a lot, uh, we found out Mm -hmm. later there was an auditory processing disorder, but early on in the learning of the phonics and the spelling words and all of those things, you know, got very frustrated with that process in school because Mm -hmm. they were failing, you know, not by any choice, just what they weren't getting it. And, um, how, how can we, because I'm sure a lot of kids that you have had interventions with later, maybe haven't mm-hmm. had positive experiences. So how can we approach them in a way that kind of reignites that? Have you had it, any creative um, things that have worked as you've worked with students or in, been in the homes well, with these interventions? I applaud you for doing what you and your husband did of trying to figure out what is the problem. And, and especially if parents can do that at a at an early age, there's all types of screening. Like before kids go to school, they have the hearing screenings, right? the health screenings. All of that is very important because if you catch something early, like, oh, you have earwax or, or something like that, or the, re- the whole span of reading uh, disorders, it's so good to catch that early. And, um, or even a vision, a vision problem. They can't even see the words. Right. Or, you know, there's a whole spectrum of dyslexia where they mix up the words and, and just wide range of things. So to, to find that, get a diagnosis of what, what's the barrier as early as possible. I think that's important. And um, other things as far as young babies, I don't think parents ought to wait until the baby is born to start reading. You really need to start reading because babies can hear at five months in, in utero. They can start their their hearing is developed. So start reading to the kids when they're very, even before they're born. And then even after they're born, one of the most important types of things to read are rhyming books. 
I know people say, ah, those nursery rhymes are fuddy-duddy. No, all that rhyming and rhythm is so foundational for kids to learning language, especially the English English, English language. And um, the yeah, read those nursery rhymes. That and, makes and a lot of sense. I was literally just reading something this morning about... Um, as the court, the, you know, the more reptilian part of our brain is developing in those really early months, both in utero and, you know, that first year or two after yes. we born, um, regulating comes from, you know, we rock an infant when they're crying, whatever, all of these soothing things that we do help them begin to self-regulate after a while and how things like rhyming have a rhythm to them that soothe, exactly. soothe connections. And that actually builds the brain in a healthy way so that they can expand on that instead of being triggered and unregulated later. Um, so that makes a lot of sense when I just in context of that, it's part of the rocking, part of the yes. bouncing, part of the rhyming, all of those things. And the rhythm and then they, their, their brains and their earwaves get adjusted to sound. So when you start teaching them phonics, which I'm a huge advocate of, yeah, Phonics, not the just, okay, guess what that word is? No. Okay. Phonics. What is the B sound? What are the short vowel sounds? If they've already been acclimated to hearing different sounds, the rhyme and the rhythm of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a reading uh, specialist or anything. I'm, I'm just saying from experience, sure. I know what helped me and my kids become good readers. I would interject just working with middle schoolers who would always come in and have no interest in reading, especially middle school boys, middle school boys just have no interest. And I remember growing up, my mom being an English teacher wanted me to read like the great literature. And I wanted to read babysitters club books until I was 14 years old, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and she, and she let me, and it evolved such a love of reading that even if I was reading below grade level, even if I was reading juvenile things. I learned so much from what I wanted to read about that I wouldn't have gotten if I'd been forced to read something. And so even when I taught, I hated doing books that I would force on kids or whole class novels just because it doesn't appeal to everyone. And so letting kids read comic books, letting them read below grade level, letting them read something that really interested them as opposed to everyone's going to sit down and we're going to read this great literature piece because we decided that this is important. That's, that's not right. going to hit the root of what kids want. So th- that's right. my two cents. And, and you hit the, the nail on the head, head about the, the middle schoolers, especially the boys, you know, they, they, they really don't gravitate to reading as much as the girls do. And so I just love the development of all these graphic novels mm-hmm. and, and, and that the boys tend to like more. So they could be on any subject. It, it could be uh, on, um, you know, space, but it's in the graphic novel, novel form that they, that they would like. But um, yeah, you got to find a way and, and, and find something that they're interested in and <laughs> I just believe there's a book on just about anything. Right. I believe that almost any answer that we want is found in a book somewhere, is written somewhere. And it's just a matter of searching, going on a journey to find that. And those those answers are out there. And I I love it when I hear... (laughs) There's so many authors, there's so many people writing books. Yeah. Why are they doing that? 
I believe they're trying to help somebody. They're trying to impart some wisdom. They're trying to give some people some joy. Like you all, you all with your book, you're trying to impart some wisdom about dauntless grace. You're, you're sharing something that's going to help someone. So I, I just love that books there. There's help out there mm-hmm. for anything that someone wants. And there's so many more options now. I mean, when I, maybe when I was younger, there, there were starting to be more options for kid, like middle grade level and even high school books, but there's so many more now. And, and we have the technology too. So kids who do have um, a reading disorder can listen to a book while they're following along and reading it. And it's yes. making the connection for them. I mean, we have podcasts, kids can listen to podcasts and read the transcript along with it. There's just so Absolutely. many doorways into reading now that just didn't exist back then, you know? And so if we're going to have the technology for stuff, we might as well take advantage of it and use it for good, I guess, in those ways. And that's a wonderful thing. And and another wonderful thing is that there's a lot more diversity in literature now and nowadays. And that's, that's a thing that young people need to see themselves in books. And so I I really didn't have that when I was growing up being an African-American woman, young girl I didn't have that but oh there's there's so much more nowadays it's still there's still quite a gap there's a a bit of a dearth but but it's growing though there are more and more uh authors uh who are writing books with with Asian characters with Africa just all kinds of people that when the kid opens a book oh now they're interested Mm -hmm. because they can see they can see themselves in that book And that's, so that's another thing to to get their interest going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you would tell our listeners to model reading, obviously, but what is another thing that we can do to support the efforts that you are making? Is there, if someone just really has a passion for this, how can they support to what you're doing in the Metro East? Well, one thing is to be aware of people around you who, who, maybe can't read and you don't know it mm-hmm. because they have so many ways that they cope. Yeah. Like my grandmother, she would just sit with the newspaper and just turn the pages, just turn the pages into someone else, not in the home. Like my mother said, anybody else would think she was reading a newspaper, but, yeah. but people be aware of people around you who, who may be faking it. And, you know, they say, well, I need some glasses or would you read this for me? Or, and, and, and just have your ears pricked up that maybe they need some help with reading it and try to lead them to that help. Uh, the second thing is your homes are treasure troves of books. <laughs> and a lot of people have them in their attics and basements and, and uh, give. When someone is asking for book donations or you know, so at hospitals having a book drive, why not share? Because all your treasures that you're not using anymore, they could be someone else's treasures. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm calling books treasures because I, th- I think they are. So I would say donate books. Uh, we, have, we have book drives. Our storage unit is full now, but the whole idea is we want it to be emptied out, but then we'll have to replenish those books. So every now and then we have book drives. And um, so I'm always looking for people to donate books to the Metro East Literacy Project. And one, one other thing I hope parents would do is um, give their children books 
as gifts. That, that's a message. That's uh, enroll them in a book club or, or something, or give them a magazine subscription. Do we have magazines anymore? I don't know. <laughs> or uh, uh, even the audible audio book clubs, mm -hmm. just, just to get them started. So there's, there's lots of ways because reading, like there's a big organization called reading is fundamental. It is. Because if you think about your jobs, what job is it out there that does not require any type of reading. I mean, most of the jobs today, you write emails, you write, you have to read things. Mm -hmm. So you want to get these kids reading so that they can really be functional and informed in society. And one last thing I just want to say about that so that they can be informed and why I say reading is literacy is liberation because, you know, we go back to the slavery days, which I love to read about that. Yeah. It's, it's just powerful for, to me to think about my ancestors and how they endured all that. And it doesn't, when I read about all the hardships, it doesn't foment, foment any anger with, from me or anything. I'm just, wow, that's remarkable that, but, that they did that. But the, the thing that I always remember is that the slaves could not be taught to read. Mm -hmm. That was against the law. And why? Because the masters knew that once they started reading and gaining that knowledge, uh, mm -hmm. it's all over. Yeah. They would recognize and find out who they are, who God created them to be, created them to be free. Yeah, that's good. Linda, what would you say to somebody who thinks that they might be living in a city or a neighborhood that has like um, a book desert or uh, how would, what's a first step people could take to really give people access take it upon themselves to search, uh, take the responsibility to search. You know, we all have these phones and you can search books, help. There's so many organizations out there that help. Yeah. People want to help. I did that. I find that this is really a helping world. YouTube people want to help Facebook. I mean, there's just so much people who their heart is to help. I mean, of course there's people who want to harm, but I focus on, I see all around people trying to help. So people who feel like they live in, live in a book desert or they want help, there's help out there. Well, you have to take the first step. I, I think I would encourage people to take the first step. If you really want help, search for it because it could be right around a corner. It could be right in your neighborhood. Someone who's willing to help. It could be your next door neighbor who can help, help teach you how to read. That's so good. Yeah, I think, and uh, just being willing to be an advocate for someone else. That's just what we're always saying here. You know, if you if you have the freedom yes. of literacy for yourself, offer that gift to someone else. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes, I say pay it forward. Pay pay yeah. your literacy forward, and yeah. and how, however you can pay your literacy forward because you wouldn't be where you are without it. Thank you so much for sharing with our listeners. I think that there'll be some people that are very um, interested in this topic, but also it's just beautiful to hear your testimony and your words. I just love to listen to you. <laughs> you have such, <laughs> you're such peace and wisdom about the way that you approach the world. And it's just, it's very calming, very calming. Thank you, Deidre. And I know, you know, I know this isn't a subject you hear on a news or and everything that, you know, every night, you're not going to hear too much about the literacy crisis, but it is a crisis. 
and that's and I'm trying to do some my little part. I love it. I think God puts things that burn in all of our hearts and they're different for a reason, right? Because there's so many mm-hmm. needs out there. And so yeah, somebody somebody's listening to this and thinking, oh, I also that that stirs my heart. I want to be part of this either locally here in the St. Louis area or in their own city. And how can they start something like that? So we just appreciate yeah. you sharing um your story and 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 what you're doing and uh, we'll thank link you. to some stuff um, so people can follow your social media, your newsletter, and oh, find out how they you. can help. Very kind. Thank you so much. I, it was a privilege. I'm, I'm excited that you had me on your show and that I can talk about what I'm excited about. <laughs> well, I hope it gets some other people excited about the same thing. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace, and you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.